0: I've never shared this with anybody publicly. There's so many things in this conversation right now. A thousand years from now, people are going to be looking at this podcast saying, so this was the breakthrough. If this was SportsCenter, that would be like such a hot take. Skip Bayless would have no idea. Stephen A. Smith would have no idea what to say if you drop that down. That is so good. Yeah, I actually, this is my third bottle. So I, got, I, I misunderstood the instructions and the premise of the podcast interview. The joke I always say is like, how did you learn so much? You gotta drink a lot. <laughs> the power of food and beverage to lubricate an environment. Resistance to change is hurting the church. I'm not in the camp that God has a penis or a vagina or a body at all. I'm in the camp that God is a universe spirit. This is the strangest podcast that I have been on. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> I'm kind of geeked up about this wine. You've uncovered the mystery. <laughs> You've exposed the formula. You've just duct taped together a number of things that aren't normally hanging out together, and I'm here for it. We're going to sit down at table. We're going to have a glass of wine and some food, and we're going to talk about the beauty of Jesus. Thank you for the the hospitality that this particular podcast provides folks like myself and I know others to, to be curious around their faith practices. I will never forget the first time I bought a bottle of wine by myself which was yesterday. If you're familiar with drunk history, I thought it's like drunk theology. So I, oh. By the way, drinking this Pinot Grigio at three o'clock in the afternoon is making me even more direct in my communication than I normally would be. Well, welcome back, my friends. We are in another episode of Cabernet and Prey. And today we're going around the world. We are going all the way to France one of the, the absolute centerpieces of uh, wine in the entire world. And so today you're going to get to go to France. We're, we're jumping time zones quite a bit, and I'm super excited for you to meet my friend, Nicholas Martin. Now, uh, when you think about Nick, wine runs through his family veins. His father was active in the transformation of the wine scene in the 1980s. Uh, He was helping up-and-coming winemakers to find new markets overseas. Uh, Longwood Duck is the region where he learned everything about wine and winemakers who dared to challenge tradition. He became an importer of premium boutique wines in Singapore. And like his father, his focus was to shine a light on the new generation of wine producers in Longwood Duck. The area is today one of the most dynamic wine regions in the world blending innovation with tradition and where nearly anything is possible now in southern france nick hosts wine tours to small family producers who are passionate and take real pride in their wines and he also participates in the crafting of those wines welcome to the podcast nick thank you jeremy great to have you anything that that we missed in that that we need to know about you
1: Oh, I think that was a very good introduction. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, we can elaborate on all that, but um, you're running the show. So here I am to answer any
0: questions that you may have. All right. We'll, we'll see where we go. I think we need to start off with what we're drinking today. And I'm excited. I'm drinking something totally unique. Uh, this is not uh, what I normally drink, but I was given a bottle this is called Valenzano Chemong Red Reserve. This is a, a red wine from New Jersey. And uh, I, I think this is perhaps the first New Jersey wine I've ever had, or at least I, that I can think of. And uh, this is made from Concord grapes. So right. think grape juice, like traditional grape juice. That's, that's what this is. And I got to tell you, overwhelmingly, when I tasted this, it tastes like communion. Like, I, I mean, literally I'm getting like flashbacks, good grape juice, you know, when you're a kid and not like the bad watered down grape juice. But, like when I would get the good grape juice as a kid, this is what it tastes like. And so it literally it's like blending worlds for me of like my memories, taking communion as a kid, getting the really good grape juice. And then here it is in a bottle. Um, This is super light. I've got quite a good pour going here, but actually very light in color, very light in tannins uh, as well, which makes this a really good breakfast slash morning wine. Now, because of the time zone difference, uh, I'm actually recording this in the morning in Arizona time to be able to, to connect with Nick in France So I don't normally do these in the morning. So this is actually, this is a great choice for me. Uh, I haven't had lunch yet. This is a real easy drinker before I get into my day. As I was tasting this, just overwhelming grape jelly. I mean, this is just a load of grape jelly you get. Cranberry, for fun, I would say gummy worms. You know, get some of that sugar in there. And it does have a bit of residual sugar, a bit of sweetness to it. So this is kind of drinking candy, kind of like a, uh, maybe a transition adult grape juice, if you will, if you're trying to dip your toes into the water uh, of the wine world. And you're like, hey, I know grape juice. This might be a great way to do it. But I'm actually enjoying it. Super fun wine. Nick, what are you drinking today?
1: Well, may, may I just say that 11, 11 a.m., I believe, for you is the time when we start you know, our Aperos in this part of the world. You know? There we go. Very normal. I, I appreciate that you are doing this
0: with me. <laughs> so I'm channeling my inner Frenchman, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's 7 p.m. here, and uh, this is what we do, too, at this time before dinner.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So what are you drinking in your glass?
1: So I, I'm, I have a white wine, which is um, what we would have before dinner. It's a very strange... Um, It's a, I've discovered this winery. It's, it's, um, it's, can you see the, there you go. It's Empedusa Penata, which is a type of uh, praying mantras Mm. that is present in the vineyards of this producer. Mm. Uh, She is uh, a young French Dutch lady who I think is emblematic of the long of this part of the world. And it is a Grenache Blanc Vermentino blend. Now, why Grenache and Vermentino? Well, both are very common here. Vermentino, less so, but Grenache Blanc is um, one of the most common varietals we have here. Mm. And um, so, I think her blend is is a result of. I mean, what she's trying to do is um, balance acidity with all those fruit flavors um, that we that you find in in Grenache. The problem with Grenache is it—it's um, not very acidic. It's—it's the—it's the flesh of any wine, uh, but the Vermentino is the skeleton. It, that's what gives the wine its acidity. And we're talking here about a lot of floral, floral aromas, um, citrus fruits. Um, I'd even put in peach. Hmm. So it's—it's. I think it's a good balance between. Um, like I said, citrus and and stone fruit. Um, it's a discovery, like I said, um, and that's what's great about this part of the world is that because we have so many uh, different terroirs, different microclimates, we can do a lot of things that elsewhere you cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just mentioned the um, your wine is a Concord grape. Mm-hmm. Now that's very interesting for me because it is it is a. It is clearly a North American varietal, Mm -hmm. which we do not have here. Um, That said, uh, you did save our wine industry 150 years ago with this kind of, uh, I wouldn't say the grape, but the rootstock is what allows us here in France and in Europe to continue to make wine. So thank you. Um, But I don't think it would do well in our part of the world.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Not great. Yeah. So I think we're, we're tasting very different wines here and, and, that's, and that's what, that's what I love.
0: That's, that's all right. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Cheers. I want to, I want to start with how you and I met and I'll recollect it from my point of view. And then I want to give you a chance to, to share your perspective. I got asked to, to preach at a church and it's a church that I regularly speak at, and uh, as I recall, the passage was John fifteen the, the the idea of Jesus saying, "I am the vine, you are the branches." And as I was looking at that, I thought, "How fun would it be to to teach that passage really from a like a winemaking point of view, and to not just not just tiptoe around? Okay, Jesus is kind of referring to wine here, but really go into it and." And teach it from that point of view. And so I asked the the pastor. I just said, "Hey, would you be comfortable with that?" Because you know, obviously, this is not the not the traditional way to preach this passage. And and he said, "Go for it." And so uh, I, as I recall, I you know, I was I was showing slides of different vineyards, and I was explaining how how vines grow and what vines look like, and what Jesus may have been saying, and, and what that visually means, and and really unpacking it you know, from a, from a wine point of view and as a communicator, you know, I had no idea, is this going to land with people or is this just too much? You know, yes. Are people going to go, what is this guy, you know, talking about wine, just talk about Jesus, you know? Um, but to me, why, why I, I love the overlap of, you know, spirituality and wine is that so many of these images that Jesus uses, uh, they they incorporate wine and in winemaking, and so I really went for it. And then after the service, uh, someone comes up to me and says, "You've got to meet someone here from France." And I said, "Oh, really? There's someone here?" And they, "Yeah, he's visiting." And then they said, "It's his first time at church in, in uh, an American church." And I said, "Oh, oh, really? He's not been to American church?" He's like, no, he's never been here. And you know, again, as it was told to me, uh, this is his first one, and. I said, what does he, what does he do in, in France? And they said, he's in the wine industry. And I thought, how cool. And, and so I, I get introduced to you after the service and uh, you, you kind of explained to me, you are not a Christian. You're an atheist. You you're, you came because of a friend and you were kind of exploring, not sure where you were, but I remember you, you were choked up over that and you had you know, that emotion, a lot of emotion on your face as you considered, you know, hey, you pop into a church, uh, just kind of a random, you know, Sunday for you, and here this preacher is talking about vineyards and winemaking in Jesus, and uh, what what was that like? What do you remember from that day? Um, I felt connected.
1: Um, I, I would I would consider myself looking thinking back um, that I was and probably still am a lost Christian. Okay. And I say that because I was, um, I was baptized a Russian Orthodox, um, grew up in a Anglican school. Um, I was at boarding school in the UK, um, married a Roman Catholic. And, um, and I think at some point, um, I didn't like what I was seeing. I didn't like what I was hearing. It I felt disconnected. And so when I when I heard your your your, 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 your um your sermon uh something something touched me deeply as you as you saw for yourself. And um and I, I think it was the the analogy which certainly helped, but um it was it was there was something that you said that just um uh, certainly touched me. Hmm. Um, i I think I'm still trying to figure out what exactly it was, but it was it was um it was you who had this message which I which I was very very receptive to. Hmm. Maybe the moment had come for a <laughs> you know and I think we've talked about it since um yeah. certainly yeah. There was a a wanting to to um to come back but um yeah and i and i and i but this is something we can discuss um, later on um, I think what i what i what I saw what I felt was uh, somebody you reaching out oh. hmm. um, asking people to reflect. On, on on the message, on um, what, what the Bible was saying, uh, what the message was, um, and and I find that that that's that's a great thing. It's it's uh, it, what allowed me to connect, and I think it encourages people um, to 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 think rather than be be told mm-hmm. what they should think, how they should think.
0: Right yeah, you and I have had a chance to to uh, to talk numerous times since then and have developed a friendship out of that. but um, that that's one of the things you've shared, and we can get into that a little bit that the 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 way Jesus was presented was perhaps a little bit different than you have heard it elsewhere in the sense of here's the right answers. here's what you believe, you know, kind of fall in line. And this was more of a, an invitation to experience it. and it. which I think is what Jesus wanted was yeah. was, was
1: trying to do at the time. Um, he was challenging the status quo. He was bringing people into into the church rather than you know I think he, he was he was a rebel. Um, and, uh, and that, that's what I am too in some
0: way. I think a lot of us uh, who are who are either listening or watching this podcast can, can relate to that spirit. So before we get into the the spirituality stuff, let's talk wine for a little bit. Uh, when you think about, obviously this this runs in your family, as as I said in the intro. But when you think back, when did you get really interested in wine? Like, what are those early memories for you? Um. Well, wine wine in France is
1: it's in our DNA. Um. So you know, we, we wine is part of our culture. Um, you know, we even we even drink it as when we're kids. Well, you know, you know we're allowed to, to sip, even you know at the dinner table. Um, but when did I really get interested? In, um, I guess when my dad started to work in in, in the Long Dock, um, he was not in he was not in the wine business. He was um, he was a diplomat. And he finished his career in 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 the Longueuil in in Montpellier, Um, and his job was simply to find export markets for these new winemakers because um, this was a time when there was this big transformation from bulk, cheap and cheerful, to quality wine, Hmm. and the new generation of winemakers, like I said, were looking Hmm. to make their own wines and get people to drink them. Um, and he started working with um, people, with families who I still work with today. Although he worked with the dad, I'm working with the daughter or son.
0: So there cool. is
1: there, there is a continuity. Um, so I, I would say it was when I was about quite late in life, really, um, maybe 15 years ago. But I really got into it when um I moved to Singapore and I needed something to do (laughs) and it was very easy. It was a very easy transition. I had my, I had my suppliers, again, my dad's, my dad's people. So I started working with longer doc wines in Singapore. And I think that was a time I think I came in at the moment at the right moment because, Singapore certainly, um, to a lesser extent, perhaps the United States. Fr- French wine, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, there's been no looking back. Then when I returned to France, it was about um, getting into doing something I've always wanted. i always wanted to do, and it allows wow. me to not just stay in the business but also to introduce foreigners outside to what we are doing here and there is so much to discover mm-hmm. there's so much going on um, we are in a part of the world oh, where like I said earlier there are a lot of microclimates so we we can um, we can basically produce pretty much anything now I'm just going back a little um, to those 1980s um, the region started from scratch um, they weren't bound by tradition winemaking methods that you will see in other parts of France like Bordeaux and Burgundy and Champagne we were able to basically do what we wanted what they, the, the winemakers were had a clean slate hmm. uh, legislation allowed for that so today we have nearly a hundred grape varietals. That's unheard of anywhere in France. Up to, I think the number is about ninety, and you can imagine what you what you what they can do with that. Hmm. It's very very interesting. This is why we 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 um, you know Matt we we combine tradition with innovation.
0: But so more into that because that's that's intriguing to me, and it's unique because you know I've been to Bordeaux and so many rules, so many regulations, and I think, exactly. especially as an American, we we you know we're we're, we're still kind of like the wild wild west the way we often view things a lot lot less rules in how we we you know do Correct. wine in America. You go over to, you know, Europe and, you know, France or Italy and you realize, holy cow, you have all these rules, all these regulations, very, very strict of what you can do. So when you talk about, you know, winemakers who are challenging tradition and you're, you're, I think you're referencing specifically in southern France, what, what does that look like and, and what what led to that? What what prompted kind of this resurgence there?
1: Uh, well, like I said, um, when when the French government said, "Right, you need to stop producing all this uh, cheap plonk. Um, you need to stop that. We will pay you to up you uproot your vineyards. The focus now has to be the emphasis now has to be on quality." Um,
0: and just Which, get- by the way, as, as an American, it's just funny to think that was that's the government of France saying. Our yes. wine has gotten bad. We have yes, to do absolutely. something about it. That's exactly it what. I mean. Wild thought. We
1: were we were selling selling hundreds of hundreds yes. of thousands of tons of grape to to to, to the rest of the country. Um, so at some point, and at the same time, I think the idea was to reduce consumption. I mean, I guess somebody at the top said, okay. Uh, we need to we need to calm down. Um, you need to start <laughs> drinking better, okay? And uh, that's
0: what I'm Quality over quantity.
1: Absolutely, and and the results have been spectacular. I mean, the, some of the wines we have today here are world class. They're exported worldwide, um, even to the United States. I am challenged though to find find some of them in Arizona. Um, that's a shame. I will try and remedy that at some point. Uh, And I'm looking forward to it, certainly.
0: What's something that French people know about wine that Americans need to learn?
1: I think think you can teach us a lot. Um, The French think they know everything. (laughs) Which is why my wine tours are in English. Uh, because the Frenchman, the average Frenchman, will say no, 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 no. I know already, um, and there's no discussion. I mean, I think I think we we the French are living on on their laurels, yeah. making the you know we've been making wine for centuries. We know how to make wine. Um, everybody else, well, they learned from us. But like you were saying earlier, um, we are still bound, at least. In the rest of the country, we are still bound by tradition, by rules. We've been making the same wine for centuries. New technology, but those are the grapes. This is when you can harvest, Mm -hmm. uh, etc. etc. Um, and that leads me to say in the log doc, we've had a lot of foreign winemakers come in and making wine. So there's 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 a there's a there's a different approach. There's been an outside um, outside knowledge has come in, an outside outlook has come in.
0: How and is that How is that perceived from the French people?
1: Uh, I don't think um, it's a problem because a lot of a lot of even French winemakers have embraced you know this 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 new outlook. A lot of younger winemakers have studied abroad. They've been to Australia. They've been to California. They've learned new techniques. Hmm. So I think we're all on board.
0: So the game the game has changed a bit, is what
1: you're saying. This is this is why I say I think we've we've we need to learn. We have learned a lot from 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 Americans, from the Americans, and from the Australians, um, and it's it's beneficial to to, to our our wine industry.
0: So, okay, but culturally, um, like you said, you you grew up with this in your DNA. That is not something most Americans would say is in our DNA. Um, in fact, you know, one of the reasons why I like doing w- what I do with Communion Wine Co. is that we often are introducing people to wine or uh, helping them take a little bit that they know and go deeper into it. And, you know, we're, we're, we provide a lot of education in that, but also just exposure to to wine ideas because most Americans aren't as familiar. So with the familiarity, is there anything that you guys just intuitively, you know, like you said, you grew up drinking it as kids, sipping it at the table, anything that you go, yeah, you, you guys got to do more of this and you know, your life would be better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Um, well, drinking wine is yeah. always, was good fun. I mean, it, it, uh, it allows for good conversation. It it does. <laughs> Brings down barriers.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, I think I think um I think wine in, in certain countries um is still considered a perhaps luxury item. Mm-hmm. There's a certain snobbism about it, but there shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, I think wine has always been approached with a with a little oh I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure what to think. No, one has to find the wine he likes or she likes. Mm-hmm. And enjoy. Ultimately, wine is to be enjoyed. Yeah, I think yeah.
0: Uh, one of the things we often say at our events, you know, because people think, well, if I can't explain, you know, what's in the glass, and I don't know the varietals and I don't know the history, then I'm I'm somehow doing it wrong. And we always say that that can certainly help and that can add to it. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, there are wines you like and wines you don't like, and you drink the ones you like. (laughs) I mean, really, it's not more complicated than
1: that. You find out what's in it, and then you you proceed to finding similar wines made from from the same grapes or in the same way.
0: Sure. What's an underrated wine? That people who are listening to this or watching this should go check out.
1: Check out wines from the south of France.
0: <laughs> Just you're, you're going to claim the whole region, huh? Absolutely, because I
1: think that there, there is so much out there waiting for you. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> and, and in Arizona, there are there there, there are there are uh, not as many, not as much as I would like. But when you see a longer doc wine.
0: Go for it. Give it a sure. try. Any any particular varietals, or just anything in the region?
1: Uh, well, you will you will inevitably see Grenache, Syrah, or Shiraz. Um, they're the mainstay of our of our wine industry here. Um, you will see Viognier, Grenache, gris on 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 the white side. That's a good way to start. Compare them to, you know, the Grenache Syrahs you'd find in California or even Arizona. Um, try and see and compare them and see how they match.
0: All right, good way when to you, start. When you look at the wine industry, and obviously you're in it in in the heart of you know Southern France, uh, but this could be in your region. Or this can be just kind of globally. What changes do you see? Coming into the industry, into the future, how do you see it? How do you see the way we experience wine is going to change?
1: The way we experience wine? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think what's happening um, certainly climate change is having a big impact mm-hmm. on, on on the wine industry. Um, I, I I say that because I I I work in the vineyards during the winter, um, and there is definitely there's, there's been a, a big, which has, uh, so the weather is getting warmer, it's getting drier. So we are beginning now to plant grape varietals that are not from France. We have yeah. to go to Spain. Um, we have to go to Southern Italy. We have to go to Greece yeah. to find those, those, those varietals that, that can, that, that can live in, in, in a, in a warming hmm. in a warm climate, in a drier climate that, that will have a big impact. It will. It all we're beginning to see, beginning to see the changes. Um, But in the the long term, this is what will be. It will, you know, the the weather will have a big impact on the type of wines we drink.
0: No doubt. You you think certain wines are going to go away? Yes. Oh yes. So, which wines should we be drinking now that will not be around in the future?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's a good question. I think. Yeah, again, vines are very adaptable. Um, although at some point, you know, they'll 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 need to move further north. Um, certainly, you know, the the the, the big Grenache Syrah red blends that we have, uh, we'll be seeing less of. Um, we still, because of m- many microclimates, um, we have we have Sauvignon Blanc, um, Vermentino, as in this wine. Pinot Noir will disappear. Hmm. They need cool climates. So you won't be seeing any of those anymore.
0: Well, if if Pinot Noir goes away, that'll be a sad day for my heart. I'm, I'm, talking is-
1: about, I'm talking about Longuedoc. In Burgundy, you know,
0: they'll be sticking around for a while, but still. Yeah. Each each region's gonna have to figure that out. Mm. Um all right. I think I think we should take a, uh, a little drink break and, sure. uh, and then we'll we'll change gears here. OK, before we get into some of the Christianity stuff, uh, when coming out of a drink break, I like to ask our guests about a story. That they had where they just think back to an incredible moment drinking a wine where I like to say the stars aligned everything was perfect and they they just think back and have these memories some some of our guests don't have a ton of wine experience so sometimes you know we're we're giving them that moment but I think you've you've got to have a treasure trove of these what is just a, a, one of your top moments? with, with uh, an incredible glass of wine. Tell us about it. Um, I would say I had a
1: moment um, when I discovered with one of the winemakers I, 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 I work with a rosé wine that they were producing. Um, it's not something that I, I, I'd ever tasted before. And its name was actually L'Incroyable. Now, Incroyable in English is incredible, mm-hmm. and it was. Really? And I, I, said so that I was amazing. able to share that experience with in Singapore, and it did become my my best selling wine. Um, it's 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 nice to find that kind of. It's when you discover wine like that, just make that, and you just say, "Wow!" Um, yes, there are other moments. But that's the first one I thought of. Because it was Anquayab.
0: <laughs> it was well named, huh? Yes.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: That that would be disappointing to, to drink that bottle and go, nope, it's not incredible. This is just average. So it's it's good that it lived up to the name. It certainly did. So you you unpacked a little bit of this. You you have quite quite a handful of traditions uh, in your spirituality background, and you, you kind of named a few of them. Uh, but you know, for, for a lot of Americans watching or listening to this, we, we have a way more narrow, uh, probably background with Christianity than you do. I would love to hear with the versions of Christianity that you grew up with outside of the U S what was that journey like for you? What, what did you kind of take away from each of those different branches?
1: Um, well, like I said, I, w- I was brought up a Rish- uh, I was baptized and brought up a, a Russian Orthodox. Um, and there's, with hindsight, it was. Um, I think. I think. I think the answer would be better. I think the question would be better answered if I continue with the rest. Um, so I was brought up a Russian Orthodox, um, and I went. From about the age of eleven, we were. My dad was was um, transferred to the UK, and I went to an Anglican school. Um, and I I was in an Anglican school for several years until the age of eighteen. Um, with with all the beautiful things that you know that 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 that, that come from being in, in a Church of England school. I mean, we would we would uh, go every Sunday to sing our hymns. Um, I certainly enjoyed that. And I, you know, now when I think about it, I, I I certainly and when I hear them, rarely hear anyway, you know, a smile comes to my face. Um, but I think the the defining. I mean, what what really impacted me was um, my uh, experience with in Italy. Uh, my I. I, I Spent time um, in Italy. Um, my ex-wife was was a Roman Catholic. And to be very honest, um, the, the Catholic Church has a very different approach um, with respect to what I had known and experienced before. So I'm talking, you know, of, of um, three different ways of approaching Jesus and Christianity mm-hmm. and I think at this point perhaps you should ask me some questions because I think I would be better understood I'm talking about experience which which yeah which certainly certainly are, are varied but um, yeah uh, but but th- Again, the three, the three, the three churches are uh, uh, similar but very different at the same time.
0: Okay, what's something you liked about each of the three that you took away, that you enjoyed? Um,
1: I think I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to say that uh, I found the Roman Catholic Church to be very, um, very rigid. Um, you are either in or out. That's changed. That certainly has changed. My 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 when my children are Catholics, but I don't I don't see it has moved on. If, if I may use the, term. in my time it was um, like I said it was black or white, black and white. Uh, you're in or you're out, um, which I think the doctrine was such that um roman catholics had to leave had to lit, live double lives I mean, and that's a big word but there was a lot of hypocrisy in the sense that this is what the church is telling you to do um and this is what human beings actually are like um we, we can't we can't we can't do what you're telling us you to and I'm, I'm, I may sound a little extreme, but that's certainly how I saw of things, how I felt things, and um, otherwise I
0: wouldn't be saying it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that so the Catholic experience sounds more negative from what you experienced. Uh, anything Definitely. positive from the Russian Orthodox? Well, I think
1: um, Russian Russian Orthodoxy is. Um, is not going, I don't feel that Russian Orthodoxy is going to tell you what to do. Um, it's more about your conscience. Okay. You are encouraged, but no one is going to be judging you for it. And we're not going to be looking at what you're doing. Um, it's up It's up to you. Uh, this is the word of God. We encourage you to, to, to abide by the word of God but the rest is up to you. I found that very much in the Anglican church. Hmm. I think, I think um, where you have a hierarchy, um, you, you, you tend to have a certain rigidity in, 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 terms of doctrine. Right. And I don't think that's always a good thing hmm. because we are so diverse we all, we are all we all have our our failings we are we are we are we are all sinners at some point but that's okay we we err we all do um, and i think uh, i think jesus was accepted but again like I said, um, and Catholic Church is a hierarchy, and it came down to, um, I, I think, it, it's, become, it, it's become a structure, uh, uh, a, 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 even a political structure, if you will. Um, mm. It has been for a very long time. Again, things are changing. Um, but I think you, know, you would have to, um, again, it was about what you should believe rather than
0: who I am. Yeah. Okay. So the last few years, then you've, you've added more experiences with Christianity in America, and you've seen a different flavor of that as you put all of that together. Cause you know, all of us are a combination of our experiences and our perspectives and you know, our journeys. Um, what do you think about Christianity these days? Just you look back at all of it now, how, how do you make sense of it? What do you think about Christianity?
1: Christianity is a set of values. Uh, I, I, um, it has to be. Again, I'm, I'm talking from a very personal experience. Um, we we need to be we need to be open, tolerant. Um, we, we we have to be able to forgive. We're um, not all the same. More inclusive, um, less judgmental um but the values that 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 we have um, i think i believe that i think there's there's the secular uh, being being we we are going towards a more secular society which is not a bad thing but we should not we should not lose those those fundamental christian values um which I believe make for a more cohesive society, more respect for each other, which i, I, I uh, lacking. I, I, I feel that because we're moving away, um, becoming more secular, I just think there's more conflict. Hmm.
0: And you can't just. You can't just tell people in a secular society, here's what you should believe and expect that they're going to do that. No, I think a, a secular
1: society allows people to to again, it encourages diversity. I mean, there are there is Christianity isn't 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 alone. there there, there, there is Islam, there is Buddhism, there is Judaism. Um, a secular society allows for that. There is a separation of church and state, which is a good thing. But what I'm trying to say is, th- those values are, are, are common to all three, to all four, perhaps. But as Christians, we 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 have we have a set of values which I think um, aren't being are, are being forgotten mm-hmm. or ignored, and and I, I believe that leads to conflict. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening. We're becoming, we're, we're, we're divided. We should be more respectful of each other. We should be more, more, um, there should be more interaction. There should be more dialogue. Um, and I think because of those that, that, that fundamental values are, are missing.
0: Okay. So switch gears a little bit. When you think about Jesus in particular, what do you think about Jesus these days?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, Jesus was, um, he ended up, I, I, I think he upended the status quo. Um, he, Jesus was, was somebody who rebelled against the, 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 the church at the time. He was looking to be more inclusive. He wanted to bring people into the church. I, I think that's 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 important. Um, he, he, I think he wanted to people to hear the word. That word was not available to everybody. It was, I think, and, and I, again, again. That, that wanting to, to bring the word to everybody, um, I think he wanted people to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's what yeah. he tried to do. Um, he had a message of tolerance, tolerance. peace, um, yeah. which I think was, I was missing at the time. Um, again, I think the original message Jesus has been hijacked, has been corrupted, with the installation of a church, uh, which has become, which became uh, a very, a very political, if you will. It became, it came under the influence of 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 um, of, um, of kings and queens, and it became a, a political tool to impose a certain way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um so Jesus was a rebel I think he 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 understood that that's not what the church was about it was about the message of God which had been lost mm-hmm.
0: Love it What's something right now that's blowing your mind This could be anything
1: Um What's blowing my mind? um, I feel that I'm learning something new every day. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's happened, but that, um, you know, even, even meeting you, uh, it was, it was, it was a a revelation and inspiration. And, um, and I'm, I'm meeting, I meet new people every, pretty much every day now. And, and everybody has, has, uh, has, Something interesting to say. At least those those people who I've met, and it, it it's allowed me. I'm I'm curious by nature, but I I um, I like to hear new things, and some of those new things are like like you just said, um, mind blowing because um, they're unexpected.
0: That's been one of my favorite parts of hosting this podcast is just getting the chance to sit down and have formal conversations with people and just ask people questions about themselves. And I've been reminded of what you said that people are endlessly fascinating if you take the time to get to know them and to ask them what they think. And there's so much to learn. Uh, Obviously, I love reading. You can learn a lot in books, but you can learn a lot just by sitting down with someone, especially over a glass of nice wine and say, hey, Tell me about this, or what do you think about this? And listening, and uh, not that we can well, solve all well. of our problems with uh, a glass of, of wine and a conversation, but we can solve a lot of them if we sat down and just listened to one another and said, "Help me understand why do you see this the way you do," or or you know, or what do you know about this? And uh, I totally agree. Every day, every day presents opportunities to to learn from the people that yep. you yep. learn. learn-
1: we will, never stop working. we will never stop learning. Mm.
0: Um,
1: so just to go back to what, what we were talking about. Um, so what I appreciated um, when I met you, Jeremy, was there was a dialogue. I felt there was a dialogue with, with, with the congregation. Okay. Mm. Um, well, we were able to talk, you know. Um, that was very new to me, mm. um, which is why I felt the way I did. Uh, that was that has never been possible for me.
0: Hmm.
1: That had never been possible for me beforehand. I was spoken to, right. or spoken at. Right.
0: One of my one of my favorite moments with Jesus is he's he's with his disciples and they're asking him a theological question and he he says to them, um, "How do you read it? Like when you read the scriptures, how do you make sense of this?" And he invites them to give their own interpretation. And I've always found that so fascinating that Jesus if there ever was someone that you would think would just say, well, here's the right answer. You know, that's Jesus. Like Jesus should be the one to be like, well, the right way to read that is XYZ. But even Jesus resisted that answer and instead invited dialogue and said, how do you read it? How do you make sense of that? And I love that, and that is what, you know, when I'm preaching, I'm I'm doing my best right? I'm, I'm not Jesus, but I'm doing my best to channel that same spirit of how do you read it? How do you make sense of this? And you bring that dialogue together and there's something far more beautiful than here's the 10 things you need to believe about this topic or this verse. And that to me, it's like, blech. And yeah. so, so much of Christianity has become that. Just believe these things, check these boxes. And I just am like, but nice. well, I think it's been hijacked.
1: Uh, yeah, it certainly true. was. I'm 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 a history buff, so I I do take interest in how uh, how things developed and 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 how how the original church came uh, to be a pawn in 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 the hands of the powers that be. Mm-hmm. It became a political tool, um, and so again, and then that's been that's been trans- that's been going forward in in not in the same way of course but um when i i think when you have uh a hierarchy and a, a certain structure that that um that, that doesn't allow for 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 how do we say um dialogue yeah or even dissent yeah <laughs> uh, you 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 have a you have a you have a problem and and people move away which is what's happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They move elsewhere. Mm-hmm. People do want to be able to express their opinion. And I, and I think that's very important. It's healthy. Well, that's, that's how people learn.
0: You, you have to engage and, it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's, uh, what's a problem that you're trying to solve right now?
1: I wouldn't call them problems. I would call them challenges.
0: Okay, what's a what's a challenge to
1: <laughs> A challenge is getting getting long dock wines into Arizona.
0: Yeah, we, we talked about that the other day. There you go. That's a challenge. Um, so just to give a little context uh, for everyone listening who was not at our lunch that we had, we were talking about how the really good wines, you know, are not are not the ones you usually get on the, the, the shelf, you know, those are the wines you get directly from the, the, the chateau or the winery or, you know, and so how do we get those? And we were talking about, you know, how, how do you get the the really good stuff? And when you travel and you get to go to some, you know, even in the States, you can go to, you know, uh, obviously people think California or even like Oregon, you can go to these wineries, experience the wine directly where it's made, and that's the stuff they're not selling that stuff in stores. That's that's the really good stuff. But it's true, you know, it's true. When I traveled to, to Bordeaux, I realized, oh, th- these Bordeaux wines taste different than the Bordeaux wines that I can buy in Arizona. You know, these are not the same quality of Bordeaux wines. And uh, and so you are talking about in southern France, you know, the stuff that you love. How do we get people to to actually do that? So if you if you figure out your solution to that challenge, I am all ears because I wanna I wanna experience great Southern France wines. Uh, you won't be disappointed.
1: <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't think I will. I did, in, I did it in Singapore and and people were you know they they found something new and something they liked and I mean, rosé was 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 one of my one of my oh. People loved it uh, because we, we do make a very good rosé in this part of the world. So, That's so, so funny. I have a,
0: a winemaker on here on one of our episodes, and I asked him the question, "What what's an underrated wine that we need to check out? And he said rosé. So uh, we have yeah. more people talking about rosé. That is yep. trend alert, people. I'm just telling you there's something there. Um, okay, Nick, what's something you're excited about right now?
1: Um, I'm excited about, um, so we, we expect, um, a lot of people visiting where I live, um, this year, especially from the U S because of our Olympics, the Olympics, um, are in Paris, but also in Marseille, which is a big city, not very far, far from here. Hmm. Uh, They will be, Marseille will be hosting the, the, um, the water events. And so we're expecting a lot of people coming in, and um, that's that's good because it, it means that people are interested to come here. They, they and I imagine they will want to discover new things and visit places, um, and that's what I do. So I am looking forward to that.
0: They're gonna they're gonna want someone to show them around some French, yeah, yeah. some southern French vineyards,
1: and um, and I'm I'm you know I'm very passionate about some of the areas we have you know. Very beautiful landscapes, great wines, uh, and uh, nobody's ever been disappointed with what they've seen hmm. and what they've tasted. So that's Love what I'm excited about. Yeah.
0: All right. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about that we just didn't get to? Ah, uh, well. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure
1: it'll come to mind. That's what generally happens. Uh, <laughs> having, a great, having a great time, and um, yeah, th- that'll come later. And I'm sure we'll have a, an opportunity to. to, to you, you'll have an opportunity to do that Man, <laughs> further down the line. Yeah. All, all right. So
0: our audience wants to check you out. You have a website, a so FR. for us Americans, you got to, got to the do. website, right? And on Instagram, it's a underscore wine underscore affair. Correct. Is that this, that's the best place to find you? See what you're doing? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Nick, it has been so fun to, to be I friends with I you uh, these last, I don't even know how long it's been, year or two. Yeah. Um, but just to get to know you better, that we've had fascinating conversations. And I love that, that you have brought us to France today. The, the podcast has, has gone further than it's gone yet. And uh, we're grateful for your insight, for your story, and for your friendship. So thank you for taking the time today to, to walk us well, through you. this and for sharing your perspective.
1: Thank you for taking me to Arizona. That was, uh, it's always a pleasure.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Cabernet and Pray. See you guys later. Thanks for joining us for Cabernet and Pray. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode or what you'd like to see more of in the future. You can email us at cheers at communionwineco.com. And if you like this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us online at communionwineco.com.